Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Joanne Lee Molinaro, and Joanne has a fascinating story. Her parents moved from Korea to Illinois and, you know, with the hopes of their two children having the American dream. And Joanne really is a dutiful daughter. She went to law school. She became an attorney at a law firm. And then she met her second husband, who really was raised sort of vegetarian, but he decided because of his athletic interests and stuff, he was going to try to go vegan all the way. And she didn't want to lose that fellowship with her husband. So she thought, okay, not only will I go vegan, but you know, I'm going to learn more about this. And what's so fascinating is she goes back into her Korean roots to explore other interesting ways to zhuzh up the food. And lo and behold, the Korean vegan was organically born. She has now a book, a huge following, and she's actually going to be stepping out of her law practice. She'll have the opportunity to do cases if she wants, but she's diving headfirst into her Korean vegan world. And it's a fascinating story. It's how her family dynamics work, her relationship, and now her pursuit of a dream and her passions. I hope you enjoy. First of all, thank you for coming out of your way to come here. I really always feel like in person is so much better. I totally agree. And uh, you don't have to <laughs> do a lot to get me to come out to this beautiful, beautiful area here. The nature here is, is really special, I think. You know, we were talking earlier before we started, but what I find fascinating about what you're doing is everywhere in the world, we all sit around and share around food. Mm. But then you sort of look at whether it's music and some other customs. I can learn so much about you and your family through your sharing of your food and the whys, you know, certain spices or my grandmother or my mother did it this way. And I just think it's one of the most impactful ways to exchange and share culture. But you really did not set out to be the Korean vegan title is you go to law school, which I imagine was you were doing your duty, right? Being a dutiful daughter. I think everything that I have done in my life, probably up until this point, has been about pleasing my parents mm -hmm. and making sure I'm being a good daughter. And certainly law school was part of that. So growing up, does that as a teenager, do you wrestle with that? Or do you just say, oh, I accept this is how it is. And you, you know, kind of drive through. I wrestled with it a lot. I think probably more than the average young person. I know right now, looking back, oh, you know, it's all rosy and wonderful. But 
Oh my goodness. I was very rebellious, disobedient as a daughter, even though, like I said, on paper, I checked all the boxes, mm -hmm. you know, I had straight A's, report cards, great, top 10, blah, 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 all that stuff. Right. But I have always been very vocal about my opinions on what is right, mm -hmm. what is fair, what is reasonable. And I thought it was incredibly unjust <laughs> that my parents only let me watch one hour of TV when all my friends were watching as much TV as they want. I thought it was terribly misogynistic that I didn't get to go to sleepovers, but my brother did. I remember that moment when I asked her, I said, how come Jason gets to go to sleepovers and I don't? And she said very plainly like, duh, cause you're a girl. Like it was a no brainer. And I just remember thinking, well, that's just sexist. You're so sexist, Harmony. But in retrospect, it was so obvious to her yeah. because she was protecting the daughter and yeah. she understood the vulnerabilities that are unique to little girls yeah. that I just was not aware of. So my mom was always like, you're so disobedient. You always talk back. You never just accept anything. You should be a lawyer. And my response was, well, I'll never be a lawyer because <laughs> you want she to said you exactly, should be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a kid like that. Yeah, I was like, I am never going to be a lawyer. But in my heart of hearts, I think there was something ingrained in me always wanting to obtain their approval. I wanted more than anything in the world for my parents to be proud of me. Did you feel like they sacrificed? Yes. I mean, I think people sometimes don't realize what that would be like, how strong your parents are and the sacrifice of moving. You're right. Their immense sacrifice, whether I was like conscious of it, was not something I could ever separate from. That was like part of who I was. At a certain point, I felt like it was part of my inheritance. This idea of education, why is that so important? It was a survival mechanism for mm. my family. And as a result of that, I could never separate doing well in school from survival. Like that was, that goes hand in hand. So I literally was just looking through resumes. I was a resume writer and I was looking through resumes and I was like, well, what are these people doing? I was writing their resumes and I was like, well, they're, you know, MBAs, they're business people, they're doctors. And I was like, I don't want to do those things. Oh, look, lawyer, that sounds feasible. Why not just do that? And I really enjoyed law school. So I thought that I would be a transactional lawyer because I always said, well, I don't like confrontation. I don't like getting into fights, which is true. But again, I have very strong opinions about things and I'm not shy about sharing them in the way that I think needs to be shared. So I interned at the law firm that I currently work with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I know I want to be a transactional lawyer. I want everyone to come together, make a deal and be happy. And I was like, this is boring. This is boring. Yeah. I did a mock trial workshop at that internship. And I was like, this, this makes me feel alive. And I decided, all right, I'm going to be a trial lawyer. That's what I'm going to do. And that is exactly what I am. I'm a trial lawyer now. When I first started the Korean Vegan in 2016, it was a hobby. You know, I just did it whenever I felt like it. I didn't think of it as a career potential. I didn't monetize it. I was just doing it for fun and sort of as a creative outlet. So it was easy to make time for it, you know, but now it's very different. Yeah. Very, very different. And the answer is there isn't time yeah. to do both in a way that either merits. And so, you know, I have to make a choice. So Anthony was my first real substantive relationship with someone outside of my culture. Yeah. You meet Anthony and you said that 
there's just differences. Listen, living with another person is already difficult. It's like, you're in my shorts, I'm in your shorts, here we are again. (laughs) Then you add now two different cultures. What are the things that show up that are different and how do you guys work your way through them? I think that being there and listening is like 90% of it, Gabby, to be honest, because it demonstrates everything. It demonstrates, again, that humility, which is so important, but it also demonstrates like compassion. It demonstrates solidarity. It demonstrates intellectual curiosity, engagement in many ways, especially during a pandemic, when you can't be with your family, when you can't be with uh, you know your community in the way that you might be used to. So when somebody takes the time to listen and do it in a very active way, right? you know, then you do feel less alone, even if they can't join you emotionally. Right. That I think that's very important. But, you know, for me, when Anthony starts showing interest in not just the Asian American community, but for example, the black American community and their grief, when he starts showing interest in issues related to slavery and the residual effect of that, or other issues related to oppression, again, that makes me feel feel very much like I am with a partner who cares about the same things, values the same things that I do, but in some ways that it's born out of his love for me, Sure, you know, as his wife. You meet Anthony and then how deep into the relationship when he goes, I'm going to explore and experiment with becoming a vegan. And was this around an athletic, you know, sort of quest with running or what was the impetus for that? Music is a big thing for my husband, Mm -hmm. but I would say fitness and running is like 50% of it for him. I mean, he is obsessed is only a slight overstatement when it comes to kind of his fitness. And I think that he'd read a book by Rich Roll. Yeah. You know, Finding Ultra. And he was very inspired by that. And so he read that book and he was like, all right, I think I'm just going to go vegan. And so he had already been vegetarian for about 21 years, the first 21 years of his life. He didn't eat meat. So he was already acclimated Mm. to a very vegetable centric diet. Oh yeah. Wasn't until, you know, he was in college that he was essentially persuaded that he needed to eat meat in order to be, you know, bulky and strong. Yeah, sure. So he's close already. And then for you, do you start slow? Do you cut back on meat? Do you, how do you say, all right, I'm going to take this adventure on with him? I think that's exactly what I did. I ultimately, after fighting, we fought a lot about it, actually. No, come on. Oh, no, we did. I was like, I don't want to go vegan. I'm Korean. I can't go vegan. I don't want to go vegan. You do it by yourself. I don't want to do it. But I feel like most Asian diets, though, have so many vegetables already and that they use either the meat for flavoring of the broths and then, yes, okay, you have it. But I feel like that's in a way why culturally they're so healthy because they are so diverse with how many vegetables. You're exactly right. But of course, I was being stubborn and I was also thinking- And you're from Chicago. Yeah, this is like meat and potato city. <laughs> like I was like, this is crazy. Why are we even having this conversation right now? I had always viewed veganism through the lens of a very like non- ethnic diet. Like I view it, you know, as a, a white yeah, diet, you, you know, can say it. hippie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hippie diet. Yeah. And I was like, I don't eat quinoa. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, I don't eat kale. That's not my diet. Are you trying to take my Koreanness from oh, me? Yeah. That's sort of how I viewed it. <laughs> mm. And so I was very reluctant about it. But 
you know, he was like, look, you don't have to join me. I'll do it on my own. But I also, and you know, I know that you have a very close relationship with your husband. I felt like, so now you're going to take the fellowship of food away mm. from our relationship. Like, no, I, I, I don't accept that either. Right. So I had this sort of choice of like, all right, do I just, we just go our separate ways when it comes to how we eat and approach food? Or do I just like, you know, just try it, see yeah. what happens. And so I decided, okay, I'll just try it. I'll see what happens. And it was like totally not that hard. How did you take the steps towards saying, okay, I'm going to learn more and make this creative? Because food, you want to feel full. You want to have those textures, those flavors, but also you want to have enough fat and enough things so that you are full and satisfied. I think for me, it was a matter of just taking the food that I grew up eating, mm -hmm. which looking back was very nutritious because it was very veg centric, very whole foods based, right? Because we're not really talking about anything processed, you know, it's really the vegetables from my backyard, Yeah, you know, because my grandmother was a farmer. And so we just brought all the vegetables from the backyard. See, strongest people in the world. The yeah, women. exactly. Yeah. Zhuzhing it up, as you say, with a little bit of soy sauce, maybe a little bit of the fat from the tofu, things like that. It wasn't very complicated. And there was a reason why there was a point in my life where I became very unhealthy physically. And that was when I went to college and I started eating hamburgers and pizzas yeah. and French fries every day, milkshakes every day, you know, that's what you get at the college dorm, those kinds of foods. But when I was growing up from the ages of three to when I went to college, I was fine. I was, right. you know, perfectly healthy. And so that was my goal. Number one goal was to let's just try and veganize some of these things that you grew up eating, because that way you don't have to feel threatened by this diet that is going to take away your Koreanness, And you get to eat all the things that you loved eating anyway. And also, big bonus, because you're the one who's creating these dishes, if you want a little bit more sweetness, you can do that. Right. If you like your kimchi a little bit on the sweeter side than your mom does, you can do that. If you like things a little bit saltier, you can do that. Does your mom go hard on the kimchi? So she makes a very <laughs> salty kimchi, and I like a less salty, sweeter kimchi. And so we've kind of, like, I just made kimchi with her the other day, and she's like, I'm going to make my own here. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine, Oma, you can have the salty one. I'll have the little sweeter one. But when you combine all of that and then undertake that process of really delving into the ingredients and even the process, because, you know, for example, making kimchi is a process, yeah. you become so much more familiar with this cuisine that as an Asian American, you tend to take for granted. So give me just a, a sort of, and I encourage people, the book is beautiful, the Korean vegan cookbook. If I opened your cabinet and you had a list of spices that if people sort of had, they could really work some magic, what does that look like? And maybe if there's something unique or special about the spice or what it does, mm -hmm. um, you could share that. Yeah. So I would say there's like only one spice that I use very consistently. It's gochukaru, which I know you had some trouble by. I was trying to find it. <laughs> I have some in my bag. I yes. brought some with me. Gochukaru is like, it is a very endemic to Korean cuisine. You're going to see it in a lot of the dishes. Spell it. It starts with a G. Yeah. It's gochukaru G-O-C-H-U, uh, gochu, 
G-A-R-U, gochukaru. Uh, and basically, gochu means pepper mm-hmm. and karu means powder. So it's Korean pepper powder. That's more like a flake in, in, in certain situations. But it's used to make kimchi. It's used to make a lot of braised dishes, a lot of tundubuchige, which is a very popular tofu stew. I mean, the base is that chili powder, right? And it's got sort of a sweet flavor almost. And it's... Very spicy, especially if you get the kind directly from Korea. Like my mom gets hers from the farms in Korea and she brings buckets fulls back when she goes. So that is probably the only spice that I use very regularly, other than, of course, black pepper. Black pepper, of course, is used as well in a lot of Korean cooking. It's just interesting when you really think about a lot of customs, they all come from probably a real functional reason. Nutrition. Right. Yes. It's like mm-hmm. cream and coffee when cream was real. It's because then you would absorb the caffeine slower and Mm -hmm. get the fat and do all Mm -hmm. these things. I love that. And kimchi is such an important food. If you talk to anyone, especially when you talk about gut health and all of these things, kimchi is like top of the list besides like natto or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if most of us are brave enough if we didn't, weren't raised on natto to eat natto. Have you eaten natto? I have, but I prefer (laughs) uh, tenjang, which is a little bit of a Tenjang, I feel like there are three levels to fermented soybean, right? There's miso, which I think a lot of people are very familiar with. And, you know, when you go to a Japanese restaurant, you get some miso soup, very mild, you know, lovely flavor. Then there's natto, which is on the complete other end of that, which is like, this is like pure, (laughs) you know, basically. So Korean uh, food has tenjang, which is sort of like the middle between what I would say is miso and natto. It's also incredibly fermented and it's pungent. It'll, you know, it can knock your teeth out if, uh, if it's particularly strong and if you just eat it plain. But usually you eat it as a dipping sauce right. or as part of stews and braised dishes. But that flavor, that fermented soybean flavor is so prevalent in Korean food. Soy is like everywhere in Korean food, which I know is, is a shame because so many people are intolerant to soy these days. Well, and first of all, let's, let's go back to kimchi because I think people... Could And if they got your book, you could figure it out. How long does the whole process take? Like if somebody goes, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make some kimchi. So that sort of depends. Number one, it depends on how many people you're making it for, Mm. because a lot of times in Korean culture, you're making it for a lot of people. You're not just making it for one. (laughs) You're making it for your whole family. And by family, I mean your cousins, your sisters, your brothers and their children and all of that. And in some cases, you're making it for the whole village. You know, everyone gets together that time in the fall, uh, the whole village gets together and they, you know, go outside and they make their kimchi together, you know, so that can be a couple of days more if you're making it for that. But if you're making it just for your own household, for example, I would say you probably want to block off at least half a day to prepare the kimchi. At that point, it's not really ready to eat. Right. You got to wait at least three days if you're okay with leaving it outside at room temperature. And if not three days, then probably at least a week to 10 days if you're fermenting it in your fridge. I would say for vegan kimchi, you may even want to double that because you don't have the fish sauce. You don't have the shrimp paste, which often facilitates the, the fermentation. breakdown. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, I think those are the little differences that I think for people. And that's what's great about your book is like you handholding so that you go, oh, I can comfortably or confidently, you know, try these new things. Where do you find your protein? Because you guys are athletes. Yeah. So 
the average vegan who doesn't run marathons could probably just eat whatever and they don't even really need to think about it. They're getting their protein from their vegetables. They're getting their protein, even if they're eating a highly processed diet, there's probably protein in that. I mean, I just think that so much of the world has been trained to think we need a lot more protein than we actually do. In the kind of world that we live in, protein deficiency is no longer really a concern, to be honest. If you're an athlete, if you are training for endurance events, then I do think you need to be mindful, but not just your protein, but about everything, all of your nutrients, right? Protein is one of them, and it's certainly a component of that. For me, I like to get all of my nutrients from as many whole foods as possible. That's just my preference. I think my body prefers that too. Doesn't seem to respond very well to supplements. I've tried. So the only three things that I supplement very regularly, vitamin D3, I take vitamin B12 every day and then I take my omegas every day. Right. Do you have um like a framework of oils that you work with? Because, you know, that's a very tricky thing for people is navigating the oil and some of the, you know, especially the industrialized, the yes. hard oils because they're hard on us. That creates a lot of chronic inflammation. So do you have a kind of a, a toolkit of oils that you sort of are your go-to? Yeah, so I will say the two oils that I use most frequently are extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. And that is partly a function of the fact that my husband is Italian American. And I do have a very specific brand in mind. And then sesame oil. Okay, Uh, But I don't really cook with sesame oil. I use that sort of to drizzle for a little bit of flavor at the end. Those are the two oils I use most often. And I will say, again, everybody's body is different. My body handles carbs just fine. I can eat rice, potatoes, pasta, all of those things. I cannot handle fat. So I I have to be very careful about how much fat I use in my food, particularly if I know I'm going to be active the next day. It's interesting because you'll hear a lot of times like people talking about being whatever, metabolically flexible or people who go into ketosis and they'll burn their stored fat and use consumed fat so that that fuels them. So it is interesting always to see how people are so different. They are. Mm -hmm. um, And that one size obviously doesn't fit all. So you start really getting involved in cooking and then on a, I guess on a fun sort of experiment, you started the Korean vegan. And how long into that until you thought, oh, I can put together a cookbook? (laughs) I never thought I could put together a cookbook until somebody asked me to do it, basically. What do you mean? Someone who had been watching videos and stuff said, hey, you should put together all your recipes? Well, first of all, I did not have videos. It was all still photography at that time. I think it maybe had like three or four YouTube videos that I quickly was like, I can't do this. Too much work. So it was just, you know, Instagram. That was it. And I was approached by a literary agent, my current agent. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you want to do? You want to write a novel? You want to write a memoir? Do you want to write a cookbook? I think you could write a good cookbook. I've seen your recipes. I've seen your photos. And I was like, all right, okay, I'll do it. But before then, like I said, it was just a hobby. I was a lawyer. I still am a lawyer. I never viewed myself as a cookbook writer or an author. I thought nobody would want to publish my cookbook. But lo and behold, a week after my pitch is out there, I get an offer from a fairly well-known publishing company. (laughs) Are you doing it in a vacuum all alone? Are you getting feedback? This must have been kind of amazing for your mom and maybe other family members who are like, oh, you should do this, this, and this. Like, How did that process go? I think a lot of it is me. Mm. Mostly, I would say me. I had a very specific idea about what I wanted the book to look like. Of course, I'm working with an editor, a wonderful editor, and I do defer to her when it comes to certain decisions. But the amazing thing about this journey has been social media. 
and the role the community, my community, has played in the development of my book before TikTok. Mm -hmm. I started my TikTok last year. It was largely going to be just lots of recipes with a little bit of writing sprinkled in. But once I started my TikTok and my stories were resonating with so many people, then all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, we can include more of your writing, which is something that I'd always wanted was to share as many stories as recipes, right? And so this book that I'm kind of putting forth into the world is sort of a product of a lot of different voices, you know, who weighed in on what it should be. Ultimately, it's the execution of my vision, absolutely. Right. But again, I'm very grateful to my social media community for being like, no, we think that it should have more stories or we like this cover. We think this cover should oh, be the one. No, you let them all chime in on <laughs> oh, that Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I Every, mean, <laughs> everyone has an opinion even when you don't ask them. I know, and but this one... Look, let me tell you, we were throwing around the cover options to everyone, like in my family, oh my the art director at the publishing company, my editor, my agent, and certainly my husband, and everyone had an opinion. And they were like all over the place, like yeah. all over the map. There were like eight different options. Mm -hmm. And so I feel very strongly. I was like, I think this, it should be number three. But a lot of my mom was like, no, no, don't do that one, yeah. you know? But uh, I was like, fine, let's just make Instagram decide, see what they have to say. And luckily, 90% of they them agreed, agreed with you. <laughs> yes, it was three. Exactly. And that is the cover of the book. <laughs> so how has your family, your parents, your Anthony, everybody, how are they responding to like that you're sort of making a transition, possibly a professional transition? Are they scared for you? Are they excited? Are your parents like, yo, like, you know, <laughs> I am making a professional transition. I'll be withdrawing from the partnership of my firm uh, in less than a month. Yeah, I know. It's liberating, wonderful, joyful. Gabby, I haven't been this happy. Do they think you're nuts? Yes. Uh, this is the first argument I've had with my mom in probably like 10 years. No, I mean the firm. Like, oh, do the they firm? Think, are they like, what are you doing? <laughs> of course, they don't want to lose me. All the prisoners oh. inside the firm are like, make a run for it, right? <laughs> They don't want to lose me and they won't be. I'm stepping down from the partnership, but I'm staying on with the firm. Okay. And that's because I love them and they love me. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to have that kind of family at a firm. Most law firms wouldn't do that. My law firm is amazing. And so I'm going to be staying on as of counsel, mm -hmm. which basically allows me to do what I want. If mm -hmm. I want to do some legal work here and there, Great. you know, pro bono cases that are important to me, uh, then I have the option to do that with the backing of 1000 lawyer firm. Right. So that's awesome. But if I want to spend more time creating with the Korean vegan, they fully support that as well. So I decided, okay, now it's time for me to hop on that train. Telling my mom that Oh my God. Was that a sit down or was that like a drop off no, on the phone? It was just, like, oh, it was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to move to LA next year and I'm quitting my job. Uh, but my mom was really upset. I mean, she was very upset. Like I said, we had the first argument we've had in probably a decade. And I was incredibly hurt by that conversation because yeah. I was like, oh my, I've been doing everything right for yeah. 42 years. Why can't I have yeah. my chance now to do what I want. Don't you believe in me yet? It was kind of like that. Well, and also if you think about it, like as an outside person, you are honoring your culture and your parents in a modern day way, mm. which is sort of a beautiful way of bridging the worlds. It's like, if you were born here, then you would just be a kid from the US, but somehow you're finding the way to blend and share that. And I think it's, you know, really amazing. Do you have special knives that you use? I have to ask. <laughs> 
I have my Miyabi knife, which I don't, you know, it's just a vegetable okay. cutting knife. And then that's about it. You know, whatever knife it is that you just, you kind of like get an attachment to it, know. you know? And now I travel with my knives. Normally when I'm doing like a, you know, extensive cooking demonstration, yeah. I bring my knives. I usually have that and the Zwillig vegetable uh, cleaver. So those are the two knives that I use most frequently. I'm not fancy. Yeah. I'm not a chef. On TikTok, there are all these Michelin-rated chefs sure. out there, and they're like, this is my $50,000 knife. And I'm like, I don't know how you can have that in your kitchen without being nervous all the time. Yeah. And yeah. They, they store a big truffle. You're, you're like just like, whoa. Anxious, you know? I want you to direct everybody where they can find you. But I think it's important. It's the idea of following your passion, and that's very scary for all of us. And I would think it's even harder when you come from a good family where there is expectation, mm -hmm. a family that has sacrificed, but the reminder that if you're willing to work hard, it'll work out. But that also there isn't one right way. You just said like, oh, I'm not fancy. It's like, yeah, but you're doing it your way. So, you know, because I think a lot of us will battle with transitions or changes or going for dreams, mm -hmm. but also then feeling like a little bit like we're an imposter. I'm sure you get there and you think I'm American, but I'm Korean, but now I'm the I just became a vegan in the last eight years. It's like, you don't have to be a vegan your whole life to be Korean vegan. You don't have to be from Korea. It's like reminding people that if you're genuine about your intention and you'll work hard, that that is the representation and the sharing. Yeah, I think being genuine and sincere, it's yeah. in vogue right now. You know, that's what people want. They're yeah. hungry for sincerity, authenticity, whatever yeah. that even means, you know, those types of things. But I think a couple of things. Number one, embrace who you are. You're uniquely you. And I mean that in every sense of the word. There's this great book called Range by a man named David Epstein. And he talks about it from the perspective of athletes, how some of the greatest athletes in the world, or even some of the greatest success stories are from people who've tried a lot of different things and failed. Mm. And what those failures ultimately do is they create this totally unique fabric for who you are yeah. that uniquely equips you to be successful at whatever it is that you do. So embrace your uniqueness, embrace your failures, embrace all of those times that you tried something and didn't quite meet somebody's satisfaction, because those are the things that will ultimately catapult you to become your unique self. Yeah. And then I think the other thing is, you're right, everyone has their own different path. Yeah, and you don't it's have scary. To, yeah, it is terrifying. You can be successful at something, but if it's not the thing that you want to do, mm. or there's something else that's showing up that's exciting to you, that it's important to listen to that and look at that. I was listening to a podcast that you had done with somebody and you were talking about the meaning of success. And I was thinking about, I was like watching these beautiful Malibu mountains, <laughs> like we're spiraling up these hills. And I'm like, what does success actually mean to me? What is that? Because I think that it's very easy to say, well, yeah, Joanne's successful. She's a partner yeah. at a large law firm. She did everything she set out to do with her career. Isn't that success? But that to me isn't what drives me anymore. I am driven by creating sustainable joy in every facet of my life. It begins with me and my husband. That's like where it starts, but it also extrapolates to what I do with my career. That is success. Like you don't need to make a lot of money. You don't need to be at the pinnacle of your corporate hierarchy. Those things are sort of irrelevant to me now. So tell me all the places people can find you. I'm excited to see what you do next. Well, first of all, thank you very much, because yeah. that means a lot coming from this woman who has created this empire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, when you think about that book, David Epstein, you're like the 
perfect example of that. I mean, you've created like this empire of all these different things. So thank you very much. You can find me on the koreanvegan.com. That's my website. That's where all of my recipes are cataloged other than the ones that are in the forthcoming book, which is mm -hmm. the Korean Vegan Cookbook. Otherwise, I'm at the Korean Vegan on virtually all social media, Twitter, TikToks, Instagram, YouTube. So it's fairly easy to find me. Okay. What's your favorite vegan dish? Like what's a treat for you? Oh, a treat. Oh gosh. Come on. Or two. Go ahead. I really love donuts. I am my father's daughter. Oh my god. Yeah. My dad, he will eat an entire box of a dozen donuts by himself. Okay. I mean, he's now he can't do that because, you know, he's in remission. Wasn't there a documentary cancer? about the Donut King? Where was that guy from? I have no idea. But he, I don't want to say he's Korean, but I feel like he was Vietnamese <laughs> or Korean. I mean, my dad loves donuts. I love donuts. So there's a particular Korean donut. It's in the cookbook. It's okay. called Kwabegi. I, I mean, yeah, we love those donuts, but I have them maybe once every three or four months now. Um, so that is a big treat. Otherwise, I love jajangmyeon, which is the cover of my cookbook, uh, soybean noodle dish. It's reminds me of my dad because we used to go out and eat noodles like that all the time. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I had so much fun talking to you. We have a little extra treat with this podcast because for me with food, what I've really learned through cooking so much is that you're going to just show us something very simple. Who doesn't eat cucumbers or cut up cucumbers? But by adding just one or two ingredients, how you can make it a little more special and sort of perk up the whole meal by one of the sides or the dishes being special. So we just want to encourage you to keep trying new things preparing food at home, preparing it for yourself, for your health, your family, but also reminding you it doesn't always have to be complicated. So I think both of us feel the same way. And many people who cook at home, I think it becomes overwhelming or you think, oh, it's so boring. But we're just going to show you really quick, especially since you're here, we're going to take advantage of, for example, cucumbers. Just by one or two special ingredients, easy to find at your markets, you can order them online, how you can really spice up your whole entire meal by making one of the sides special. Hey everyone, so Gabby asked that I show you how to take something you're probably going to do anyway, like chop up a bunch of cucumbers and jazz it up or spice it up as the case may be with a little bit of Korean flavoring. Now this is actually cucumber kimchi, what I often think of as like kimchi for newbies. You know, lots of people can be intimidated by making kimchi and rightfully so, it's a bit of a process, but this one will take you like 40 minutes including the pickling time, and it'll be incredibly delicious, very easy to make, and the perfect accent for a lot of different things that you're probably going to be making for dinner anyway. So let's get started. We've got a bunch of cucumbers. You can really use any cucumbers you like. I like the Kirby cucumbers or the Persian cucumbers, these smaller varieties, but if you just have an English cucumber or a regular cucumber, that's fine too. I've given them a good rinse, and now we're just gonna chop them up into about a quarter of an inch thick pieces. And then I'm just gonna dump them into this bowl here. Let's get to chopping. This is honestly the longest part of the recipe. It's just, just chopping up these cucumbers. It smells so good in here already. All right, so let's get started. I'm gonna dump these into my bowl here. The great thing about this recipe is you should you can actually do this with zucchini as well. Um, when zucchinis are in season at the height of summer, I love making this recipe with zucchini. It adds a different level of sweetness and texture that I really enjoy. 
So I'm gonna get started with the pickling process, which is the process where we add a little bit of salt in order to draw out the liquid from the cucumber. And that's how it gets sort of bendy, which is what I like to call it, uh, which is the texture that you want. So I'm gonna get that process started right now while I continue to chop up the rest of my cucumbers. We're just gonna add a little bit of salt here. I'm adding sea salt and Usually when you're pickling something and when you're kimchifying something, as I like to sometimes say it, you're gonna be using a little bit more salt than you probably are used to. Don't worry, we're gonna rinse off the excess salt later. The salt is not there for flavor, a little bit is for flavor. Most of it there, again, is for that utility that we need. We need it to draw out the excess water. All right, I'm just gonna give this a toss to make sure that our salt is evenly coating our cucumbers. So this dish, cucumber kimchi, lots of different varieties of it in Korea. Uh, we're making a very simple kind, but you can jazz this up even further by adding, say, you know, some garlic. Sometimes I'll add some red onions because I really love that zip from the red onion. You can add scallions, of course, is another great way of adding flavor and dimension to this kimchi dish. Sometimes people will add sesame oil to it at the end. What a beautiful, lovely flavor to complement the spice. Sesame seeds. So there are a lot of different directions you can take this in. Yeah, that's the reason I love making this dish is it's very forgiving. You don't have to have perfectly cut cucumbers. If you add a little bit too much salt, don't worry. Like I said, we're rinsing it off at the end. This is one of those dishes that's genuinely difficult to screw up. So that's another reason this is a winner in my book. Okay, so we've got all of our cucumbers. And again, I'm just gonna toss it to make sure that the salt is adequately, I'm gonna add probably just a touch more salt too. So now the name of the game is a little bit of waiting. We want this salt to do its job and draw out that liquid. And what will end up happening is these crispy, crunchy cucumbers are actually gonna wilt and get a little bit bendy. So I typically recommend that you wait about 15 to 20 minutes for that process to fully complete. We've already you know, had some of these cucumbers sitting in our salt for a little bit. So I would say probably in the next five to 10 minutes, it's time to rinse them off under cold water. Okay, so it's been about 15 minutes that the cucumbers have been sitting in the salt and uh, you can tell the cucumber has gotten super bendy uh, and that's exactly what you want. And you'll also find a reservoir of water at the bottom of your bowl. Now, if you were to just mix everything with the spices like this, you would find it to be too salty, at least in my opinion. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna rinse off that excess salt and then we'll come back and add some more flavor to this, all right? You do wanna get rid of as much water as you can. You don't wanna dilute the flavor. So one thing you can do, um, you don't have to do this, but my mom does it. She will take the cucumbers and she'll squeeze some of that liquid out like that, okay? And then she'll put it in her bowl. So again, you can take the cucumbers and squeeze out some of that excess water like that, and then put it in your bowl. So if you have time, and if you want to do it that way, you can do it that way. It does make it a little bit easier for the sauce to stick. But honestly, sometimes I'm like really busy or I don't want to do it because I don't want to do it. <laughs> I haven't and it honestly tastes really, really good. So you don't have to, but that is, I guess, the more traditional way to do it or at least the way that my mom. Okay, 
cucumbers are rinsed and now it's time to add some flavor. All right, so this is super simple. We're just gonna add a handful of ingredients to really enhance these cucumbers. First, we're going to add some gochukaru. Gochukaru is Korean pepper powder. It's basically Korean chili powder. It's sort of sweet and also intensely smoky and full of heat. You know, I would add at least a tablespoon, but it's really up to you in terms of your tolerance for spice. So I'm gonna add about two tablespoons here. You can add less or more depending on, again, your spice tolerance. It smells so good, like immediately, your whole room is gonna smell just intensely smoky and wonderful. I love the smell of gochukaru. The next few items that we're gonna add is we're gonna add some mirin or you know sweet cooking rice seasoning, okay? I'm gonna add about a tablespoon of that. We're gonna add a little bit more acid with some rice wine vinegar or rice vinegar, about a tablespoon of that, and then sweetness. So typically, uh, I would add sugar, or in the traditional recipes that you add a little bit of sugar. I like to use uh, maple syrup, agave, or any other kind of sweetener that I have sort of lying around the house. I'm using uh, some maple syrup today, but again, if you're comfortable with sugar, you can just use regular old white sugar, or you can use whatever sweetener you prefer. So I'm gonna add about a tablespoon of this maple syrup, and that's it. Those are the only flavors that I am adding to this kimchi. Like I said earlier, you can make the flavors even more intense by adding some garlic, you can add some onion, you can even add carrots, scallions. These are things that are going to pickle with thyme as well. And we're just gonna toss this. We're just gonna use a spoon here. We're just gonna mix everything up. And the great thing about this kimchi is you can eat this right now if you want. You can add this to a salad, you can add this to some quinoa, um, you can add this to a burger, and it's delicious, it's flavorful, and it's got that lovely crunchy texture of a pickled cucumber. However, as you'll find with any kimchi, the flavors will change over time. They'll get more intense, more concentrated. And to me, the sweet spot for this particular kimchi is about five days out. I just stick it in the fridge in a jar and let it do its thing for about five days. And oh my God, you're going to find the most delicious pickled cucumbers or kimchi-fied cucumbers, if you will. Um, that you're gonna want to add to everything. But let's give it a try right now, see where we're at. Sometimes I will add a little bit more sweetener, maybe a little bit more salt, depending on where things are at. So let's give this a try. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's perfect. But I don't think it needs anything. This is wonderful. And in five days, it's gonna be absolutely fantastic. So that's basically it, cucumber kimchi. Again, this is one of those dishes that you can make because you're already gonna be chopping up some cucumber anyway. Add a few things, literally a handful of ingredients to turn it into something really special that you're gonna wanna add to just about everything that you eat. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind-the-scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.